You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking with a contributor, Noel Gandy. Not only does he write for the magazine, but he's a guest on the podcast every so often. And he recently just slammed an Iowa giant down in southwest uh, Iowa with his bow. Uh, I think it was like couple days or you know a handful of days ago and uh this is just a success story podcast he's going to talk about what this buck did where this buck came from he's going to talk about the land that he hunts uh a little bit of strategy and uh, he's going to share the story of a successful bow hunt so that's what today's episode is about as always before we get into the episode we got to thank our partners at Bondurant Custom Furniture right if you guys haven't had the opportunity to go visit their website bondurantcustomfurniture.com you need to go check it out they make some really amazing woodworking stuff they make they take old whiskey barrels, they refurbish them, and then they turn them into furniture and artwork, uh, tables, chairs, dog beds, clocks, different varieties of art. And then they also do some custom uh, uh, custom pieces as well. So if you haven't gone to uh, 
If you haven't gone to BondurantCustomFurniture.com, go to their gallery and flip through the pictures of all the cool stuff that they make. And then uh, if you have a question, you know, give them a call. All their contact information is on their website, and uh, maybe they can make a custom piece of furniture for you. So BondurantCustomFurniture.com, check them out. Real quick intro today. Uh, oh, real quick. If you're not subscribed to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, you can do that on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Also, go to iowasportsman.com and check out their uh, check out all the articles that we put up there. All, the uh, The podcast is there as well, and you can get the ability to, I guess, subscribe to the magazine via the website as well. So. Uh, it, if you're not following along on the blog on the iowasportsman.com or you're not getting the magazine, you really need to do so because if you hunt Iowa or on the surrounding states and just want some good content about waterfowl hunting and fishing, uh, this is the platform for you. Uh, lots of great content from lots of great writers and the podcast uh, to toot my horn just a little bit, but check it out. All right. So that's the intro. Let's get into today's success story podcast with Noel Gandy. All right, we're back again with Mr. Noel Gandy. And uh, I, I was flipping through Instagram the other day, and I saw this guy have a really big smile on his face. And uh, there was something in front of him that kind of caught my eye, and uh, that was a gigantic buck. And uh, I, I was like, I put two and two together. I'm like, okay, I got to get him on the, the the podcast, and I need him to tell the story and share that experience with all of us, so that uh, if we have something like that come our way, we know when we need to hop in the timber. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into all of that, I just want to say congratulations, dude! What an awesome animal. Well, Dan, thanks for having me again, and boy, I appreciate it. I tell you what, a, a blind squirrel will find a nut every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those times. Now, uh, give me the very brief story, right? You're from Mississippi, then you took a, preach, a preaching job up here in Iowa, right? That's right. I'm a church planter, meaning we start brand new churches, and uh, we, my wife and I had an opportunity to leave Mississippi, which is where I've been basically my whole life, 30 years. And uh, when an opportunity came, it's not like a placement by any means. We get to go where we want, but there was just some availability in southwest Iowa. When that became available, uh, it wasn't difficult convincing me to come. How about that? <laughs> that... My wife had to pray about it a little more, but it, I, <laughs> I was easily convinced that yeah. Iowa was the state for us. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially, you know, and I don't know, uh, what, what county are you in? I'm on the border of, I'm in Shenandoah, so it's uh, technically in Page and Fremont counties uh, here in the southwest corner of the state. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Now, that's not necessarily the quote-unquote mecca of big deer in Iowa, oh, no, no. but uh, I have this one uh, buddy of mine, he's like, you throw a dart on the state <laughs> of Iowa, and there is a chance that there is going to be a big deer. I don't care if it's the furthest northwest county in the state or, you know, up in the ags of uh, upper central. But we have the genetics. And if you hunt long enough, wherever, you're going to run into a giant 
a giant whitetail buck, and it looks like he did, man. So, uh, man, I got to I got to ask uh, uh, this. You know, is this the biggest deer that you've shot since you've been to Iowa? Well, uh, it's the biggest deer I have killed since I've been to Iowa. Let's put gotcha. it that way. Okay, all right. You've <laughs> I, had a, a I, encounter. I stuck in, a bigger one. Yeah, gotcha. I stuck a bigger one, and uh, in twenty seventeen, and uh, just had a honestly just a poor shot on my part and uh, and lost him. Yeah, we've all been there, man. So I think I'm just gonna start at the very beginning. Um, now. Did you know that this buck was around at the beginning of the season? Did you have any past history with him, trail camera pictures, anything like that, like summertime type time frame? My my context with this deer is 10 days, uh, <laughs> 10, 10 days before. Uh, I'm hunting a deer, honestly, in this area, Dan, that uh, that I've known for two years. I actually, I actually missed him last year uh, on video, and boy, I mean, I've, got him documented trail cameras, everything. And, uh, he's back very regular on my, on my trail cameras this year. And that's the deer I'm hunting. But this deer, like I said, I'm a pastor and I always joke that deer movement is best on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings <laughs> because, because that's, uh, you know, pastors only work two hours a week. Some people think so that's, that's, right. uh, that's my two hours of the week. And, uh, so two Wednesdays ago, this deer showed up in daylight underneath uh, basically underneath the stand, I killed him in, uh, one, one picture. He is just basically cruising through, Okay. which to, you know, to me was odd. It's early October, but it was on the very front end. If you'll remember of that, of that, of a cold front that blew in, yep. uh, just, well, however long ago it was now 10 days, I guess. So, uh, it was that very first night. And in fact, I had my target buck. And this buck, both in daylight. I mean, it's the only daylight pictures I have of shooter bucks this year were both on that same day. Wow. Uh, and it was the first, it rained that morning here, uh, got cold, and it was that first evening. So if that if that gives our listeners any kind of an idea of how to be hunting a cold front, you know, early October, be sitting there for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got a picture of him that day. The only thing I really try to think back hard on him because I I couldn't place him at all. The only thing I can think is I might have a short video clip of I have a video of a deer that has a similar frame from last year, uh, but I I've not had a chance to go back and look at it, and it's just kind of a shot in the dark, honestly. So for all sakes and purposes, I don't know the deer other than one picture. Gotcha. Uh, from from ten days before. Gotcha. Uh, ten days before we killed him. So when he showed I did, up, I did pull cards. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me let me say this. I did pull cards, camera cards after that, and there was a picture of him that day, uh, that morning walking into the timber that I killed him in. Okay. I had not looked at the camera card before I hunted because we were running late. Gotcha. And so, uh, but I did have one more photo. So now that I think about it. Okay. So when you when you were when you pulled cards and you got a picture of this buck, like. Did he instantly like make the make the hit list? Was this something that you're like, we got to move on him now, or are <laughs> you waiting for the the right conditions to move on him? I have about four sets on that farm, and you and I have talked. I'm one that goes and I prehang and we cut and we just kind of live or die by those sets, you know, unless something crazy happens. I I hunted this same set four times. Uh, 
not just because of this deer. Like he immediately made the hit list. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm hunt, I'm hunting a giant, and this deer is huge, but I'm hunting a giant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I I've not seen the giant since the end of August, but I know that's his area. But I have three other deer that I would have shot that are using this area very regularly. Him being one of them, you know, he was just kind of a bonus deal. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, like I went, he, he immediately, he became a number two. How about that? Very yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he made the hit list. So if he, if he stepped in front of you, you knew you were going to shoot him. Whether I had, so I literally had two seconds to decide whether I'm shooting him or not. That's just how fast it happened. Okay. But if I'd have had 10 minutes to watch him, it, I would have shot him. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, absolutely. It was no doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. So, I think anybody would. So he wasn't a regular on this farm like a couple of the other deer were. But so, so we get an idea of where this deer lives. Why don't you go ahead and kind of uh, break down the farm, uh, the terrain, and how deer move through it? Okay, the piece that I'm hunting, uh, one, one generous farmer has allowed me to hunt his place, and it's about 500 acres or so. But it has 40 acres on the west side of a road, 350 to 400 on in like the center of the property, and then 40 on the clear other side of the road. I'm hunting the far western side of it. And essentially all it is is 50-50 corn and beans. It's just a 40-acre field. He has about 20, 20 yards of timber max on, on the west side of this cornfield. And so the, the timber, though, is basically it looks like a little strip that connects another big block of timber. And so I set up in the timber on a creek. It, it kind of pinches down just perfect at the corner of the property that I have permission to hunt and then two other ag fields that are owned by some other, some other farmers. Uh, so I'm basically right on the, right on the corner. No one else hunts in there to my knowledge. So I don't feel like I'm pressing in on anybody or being a jerk neighbor or anything like that. Right. Uh, but I really am hunting on a property boundary pretty much. I had to wait for him to cross the boundary in fact, shoot him. Yeah. So you, for, for the most part, you are hunting almost like a transition area between two different chunks of timber right although it is kind of a 20 a 20 yard strip it just sounds like it's a highway running back and forth that's exactly what it is it's uh well the timber is actually is a little bit thicker than that it's probably 100 yards wide okay but that's what it is it's a it's a funnel uh because a creek runs down through the middle of it so i'm either gonna uh, and it's between two blocks of timber Uh, you nailed it exactly right um and I, you know, if the deer comes on my side of the creek, it's in shooting range. It's it's in range. Yeah. Uh, now I've had deer on the other side that I couldn't give a shot at. You know, times past, but that's why. I'm oh, man. Simply because you're going to get a shot. You know, with these deer, especially during the rut, it's a killer rut stand. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we won't we won't get to figure that out this year. Yeah. So uh, historically. Has there been a lot of sign in in um, on the side of the farm that you can hunt? Uh, scrapes, rubs. I mean, is it a good bedding? Does it hold good deer as well, or is it just a highway? 
No, I, it, I think it holds some deer. Well, uh, how I'm hunting it right now, all the crops are still in, uh, essentially. So I feel like the deer weren't using this timber, or either one of those timber blocks to, as their main bedding. I feel like they were using crop fields. But I'm seeing some of the same deer from last year that I did this year. It's only my second year to hunt over there um, because I just overlooked it. Uh, to me, Dan, it's one of those overlooked spots. If you're looking, if you're looking at a map of this farm, this is not the top place that you're going to go sit. Right. The middle of the farm is littered with like bedding and cover and trees, and and I, I just couldn't get to them because of the crops. Right. Uh, if unless it's torn a bunch up. This is a really overlooked spot, and I realized last year as I hung cameras in there that for some reason, man, those deer, they love the corner of that field because it's secluded. And they can get out, they can feed beans or corn because it's right, you know, it's right in the corner of beans and corn. They've got water right there. They've got bedding right there. It's just the, it, everything. Yeah. They stay in the timber or in, or in corn. The day before I killed the deer, the farmer cuts two combines widths of corn around the edge of that field. Yep. And so I basically have a runway within 20 yards of cut corn from, from my stand. And he left the rest of it because their bins filled up and their beans were ready. And so they abandoned their corn and they, they went and changed heads and started cutting beans on a, you know, clear across town. Yeah. He said, oh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And I thought, man, I just hit the jackpot because he's left me a strip of, of feed, basically. And uh, these deer are going to pile out of that corn now to where I can actually see them and not just happen. You know, they were going to just have to happen to walk by um, for me to for me to kill them. Right. And uh, now I'm, they're popping out where I can actually see them and see what's going on. Now, granted, he came up. But he was running towards that corn, gotcha. uh, that cut corn. But for but what you've what you kind of realized was this this buck wasn't a homebody on the farm that you were hunting. He was just visiting it. Like his core area was probably yeah. on a on a different farm, right? I, I truly think so because I have photos of deer that are homebodies, and I'm getting them three you know three times a week. This deer, I basically two pictures of. And they, they just popped up. No, I, I, I can't guarantee this, and I, I don't know it for a fact, but it's a, a high percentage assumption that this deer was bumped by, by farming, by either a combine or a grain cart or something. We think that he was bumped to us. Uh, and he just, you know, he's been in this, this corner of this field. He's felt comfortable in it. The reason we think so is we, we could hear the combines running, I think they were a half mile away or something like that. But he comes sprinting, sprinting through this timber strip at like five in the afternoon, an hour and uh, however long, an hour and some change before uh, sunset. So we've still got well over an hour and a half of shooting light. But he's sprinting almost like he's dogging a doe with his mouth open and just hustling through this timber. And uh, he actually stopped when he caught our wind he was nine steps <laughs> Oh wow! Uh, because my cameraman, we're standing up just frantically trying to grab bows and cameras and everything and get on it. And, uh, he, I, I guess he saw us and smelled us all at the same time, but it was, it was too late. He, you know, the arrow was on the way by then, but, uh, 
I can't take a ton of credit for the, for how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> Other than being at the right place at the right time. But I, I truly think that those natural, we were bummed out actually thinking, well, we're not going to expect anything from this end because of the farming. Yeah. But now, you know, I almost think that they might have bumped him to us. I can't prove that, but I, that's a, that's what both of us thought right off the bat. That's what happened. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, in this time of year, deer are getting displaced during harvest, man. If Especially yeah. if they're finding a little nook in a, I don't know, let's say like an inside corner of a timber that butts up against a, the corner of a, uh, you know, a corner of a, an ag field that they just have mm-hmm. found comfortable all summer long. And then, yep. you know, out of nowhere, someday some heavy equipment comes through, kicks them up. And that's the only place, especially out there, right? It's, it's a lot of right. ag, right? So, yeah. so these little timber lots, they start getting pressured and the deer are just going to bounce from one timber lot to the next looking for that cover. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, you, I think it's one, you know, whether it was luck or whether it was skill, you were in the right place at the right time, man. Well, the skill part of it is we we had pre we we knew from tradition that this was a good spot early season. We we had photos. We knew there were deer in the area. The luck part I think comes on the particular deer that we killed because it's, you nailed it. You described it to a T. I think that they just knew that this corner, this inside corner, was it's thick and woolly and and comfortable for them. And if he could get away from, you know, from intrusion, then that's where he was headed. And I, and I think that's what happened. Yeah. Little did he know there was an intruder uh, <laughs> sitting up in a tree 20, 20 feet. Right. So let's, for example, you know, the rut hits out there. And when it's wide open like that, you know, I hunt in big sections of timber and ag, yeah. right? I got a, I got a, a mixture. It's about 50-50, maybe a little bit more heavy on the ag, but I there's a huge block of timber that, that I hunt. And the deer don't necessarily need to travel miles upon miles during the rut. They can just bounce from one doe group to the next until they find one that's hot. During the rut, have you witnessed deer out there traveling long distances? I have, actually. Um, One night last year, maybe two years ago now, just for for instance, I've been hunting a particular buck on a particular farm and never seen him. And so uh, I kind of hunting him faithfully. I was leaving that evening and I was two miles north, uh, excuse me, south of, of, my, of my hunting area. I was driving out and in the headlights jumps just this behemoth. Uh, it, it's well after dark. I mean, it's nowhere near dark, but it was two miles uh, south of where I was hunting. The very next day, because I had time to look at him, and like he stood there for a while, so I was looking at him in binoculars and everything like that. The very next day, I had a picture of that deer beneath the stand that I was hunting. That was two miles away, and and it was he wasn't even headed in that direction, honestly. Uh, and and he was very dis- distinct, uh, had a very distinct rack. So, you know, I'm, I'm very sure it was the same deer. I can't say that for all of them because I saw the same little ten point. It seemed like. 500 times last year right just 100 inch 10 point um but i can i can imagine that they they have to travel if they want to find doe groups the block of timber that i'm on uh you know there's not another decent block of timber there might be little patches of it 
there's not another decent block of timber for a mile. So I'm sure that they'll find a ditch, you know, or, or something like that and kind of run to, to get from block to block. Like you said, the donating group, um, I think it's wild how it was. A friend of mine hunted the farm before I did and he moved away, but he actually had documented his sightings of a particular buck that he was trying to kill. And the farm is, is huge. It covers well over a mile. Just all this property together, you know, is, is spread out over a mile. And he had little dots he sent me on a map one day of sightings of this deer. And it was all over that farm. It, there wasn't any, like, home area. You couldn't pick it out yeah. because he was seeing him everywhere and had pictures of him just all over it. And it was a big buck, you know, mature deer, right? which you don't normally think of as, you know, being so willing to roam, but... I think between between food sources and and does and and water, uh, yeah, man, they have to travel just about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's the population like down there? I mean, is it uh, a lot of deer, or is it do you do you hunt sometimes and maybe see one deer? Oh, for sure. I, I lots of times I've gone and and seen none or just a couple. Uh, and, and that be you know, it, I don't know, I, you know, my context is so limited two or three years that, uh, I don't know if it's just the area that I'm hunting or if it's kind of the area in general, you know, during November and October, I, I'm hunting, you know, I'm not out in different properties a whole lot. So it's hard to speak to, but, um, I don't know. I think it's, they say that it's better than it was. In 2013 and 14, it took a big hit, yeah. apparently, with some disease. And to hear people and farmers talk that they are, they're seeing lots more deer. And I can even attest to that from my very first season four years ago, which I only hunted seven days and killed a buck. But my very first season to now, I see lots more deer. Now, my definition of a lot is different. Uh, coming from Mississippi, I could go and see 15 or 20 deer. Yeah. <laughs> but none of them, none of them would score over a hundred, you know, right, right. uh, lot, lots of those and things. So I yeah. probably not even see 10, but you very well could see a good one. It's kind of not been my experience. Gotcha. Okay. So this deer, this deer makes an appearance. You, you, you identify that he's in the area, right? You, uh-huh. you, which tells me he, he, he came because, I mean, you felt the day you killed him, he was bumped from yeah. a, another farm, but it wasn't like he was just bumped that day. Right. Because you had pictures of him previously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so when you decided to make a move on him, um, did you have to wait for a certain wind or uh, in order to access that stand or have a good wind in that stand? Or did you jump right in and say, hey, man, tonight's the night? Let me tell you a little story, all right? <laughs> that front hit on Wednesday. Right. And it's north-northwest. Great wind. We thought perfect wind for this set. So we go and, and jump in on Thursday. We, we hunted. And uh, I think on Friday we hunted. And it's north-northwest saw one or two deer like between both days this the wind shifted during the day on monday to south southeast 
and it was kind of howling during the day, supposed to get below 10 miles an hour late in the evening. And so I told my buddy who's been with me, uh, hunting with me, I said, what if, what about this? What if we hunt it on an off wind? Basically meaning it's not blowing directly into the timber because it would need to be straight east, but it had a lot of east in it. I said, but what if we jump in with a with an off wind? We've not seen deer on what we think is perfect. So maybe they're not bedding where we think they are. Let's jump in and let's just see. You know, if we if we screw it up, I can't hunt for another week plus anyway. I've just been busy and I knew it was going to be kind of out. So what if we jump in and hunt it with the off wind, just see what happens? Right. And I'll be darn, yeah, we saw a deer. <laughs> and and this buck ends up running running right down the trail out of the timber, but as like as soon as he hit our wind, he stopped. But it was in a shooting lane, so it just yeah. it worked out perfectly. It made me think I was just wrong of thinking where they were betting. Yeah. You know, I've been wrong the whole time. I tell you what, one of my favorite like I I'm pretty aggressive when I uh, when I hunt, right. I don't ever mm-hmm. pre any more. I have a couple, right. But for the most part, all I do, I'm, I'm real mobile. I do a lot of running, gunning, uh, you know, mobile hunting, tear up, set, you know, set up, tear down, te- set up, tear down. And sure. my goal is to get them almost like I don't need to stop them. Sometimes it, my goal is to get my shooting lane, is if they're in my shooting lane, that's when they're going to hit my wind. And, you know, I better be ready to shoot them at, you know, at that point or be prepared for, you know, let's say a younger buck or maybe a doe or whatever comes mm-hmm. through and busts me. But that's how aggressive I try to play the wind when I am, when I'm, when I'm hunting, because I feel like you have to be that aggressive in in some of these instances. Yeah, you could probably go out and hunt a field edge, you know, with wind in your face the whole the whole night, or you know, blowing directly away from where all the deer are. But I think in a scenario, especially this time of year, they are going mm-hmm. to they're they're not dumb yet. They're still using their right. they're still using their nose. For sure, absolutely. Can for me this summer. Uh, and this might—it's not a plug by any means, but it's just what I did. I, I watched the hunting public a lot this summer, and they talk a lot about uh, hunting off wind and, and doing just what you said, kind of getting aggressive, pushing pushing the limit. And uh, because you know, deer don't always think like we think. Right. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they do. And so, normally, I, I can say it for them, and I don't know these guys from Adam, but I can say had I not been watching that kind of all summer just late at night that's that's how i relax just pick my feet up and watch hunting shows but had i not been watching that i probably would have stayed home or either going to a different set yeah rather than thought about potentially bumping one of these deer but you thought no man this might be the the Drury's also talk about that about hunting the first south after a handful of norths yeah. like that that wednesday that the that the cold front blew in it was dynamite there were deer everywhere, but the next few days, I guess they got accustomed to it a little bit and they started feeding right after, right after dark. All of my pictures were right after shooting light, but that Monday, and I, you know, I couldn't hunt the first North wind, but that Monday I could hunt the first South wind. And, uh, I've never tried that really. 
and and I did this time, and it paid off. I, I'm a believer now. How about that? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So you did see uh, the day uh, that you shot this buck, you did see a handful of other deer moving around out in the fields? Yeah, sure did, and early. Uh, they were out on beans early, um, right after we shot the deer, even. Uh, had deer still coming out into the beans. I have a I have a trail camera picture of a buddy driving his pickup uh, to pick the deer to help me load the deer up. He had to drive past one of my trail cameras, and the photo right before he pulls up in daylight are deer feeding in front of that trail camera on cut corn. Yeah. So that that we couldn't see from where we were. So yeah, they they were out, man, uh, and early. Seems yeah. like. That's awesome. So he pops up, he catches your wind. Uh, did you need to stop him at all, or he just kind of stopped when he hit your, your scent stream? He was in the throes of taking a step, but it was so slow that, I, I mean, and he was so close, I didn't want to do anything to alert him any higher because he's already running. He's already kind of looks like he knows where he's going. I think he's, he either saw us or smelled us or both. And he had really slowed down and looked like he had gotten cautious, but he was still in the process of taking a step. Normally, I would try to stop a deer, yeah. and I wouldn't shoot him walking, but he was so close and, and going so slow, I didn't – we've even looked back on, on the video, and, and you can't tell really that he's taking a step too much. I mean, you can tell, but it's not it's not an aggressive step. So, man, when I pulled, when I pulled that arrow back and I put him in my sight house, I have – a five pin sight, every pin was on him. <laughs> I had never had that happen before. <laughs> right. That's close. That's pretty close. Yeah. It was awesome. So this is always my favorite part. You know, you settle the pin, you pull the trigger. Did you did you know that it instantly it was a good shot? I did. I felt really good about it. Uh I have done that before and it's bit me in the rear end. But I the between the angle and where I hit him, man, I just, I knew we had a dead deer. And I'm not trying to sound cocky. He was just confident. And the way he ran off, we didn't see him fall, but he, uh, you knew he was hurting. Yeah. And uh, he fell within 70 yards, I think. Yeah, double lung deal. Man, he's kind of quarter and two just a hair. So we got, it looks like we got both lungs and it ended up getting like into his liver. And yeah. I guess as he was running off the, the motion, because it didn't have an exit, okay. uh, super steep, shot him right behind the shoulder. It didn't have an exit, but the, basically the whole arrow was up in him. I got it tore his, he tore his guts up. It, yeah, it was, it was a brutal deal that the arrow and razor combination did a pretty pretty bad job on it yeah absolutely so you let the arrow go you knew it was a good hit i mean what's the first thing that's running through your mind all right man here you go my the first thing and the only reason i can remember this is because we took time to capture it on video and i've watched it back about a thousand times but <laughs> my first words are oh my gosh it's the big one it's the big one. Oh my gosh go down go down go down and uh, the first thing I thought when I saw the deer, when I shot the deer, I thought it was this giant that I've been hunting. Uh, we named him Professor because I missed him last year. We said that I gave him a, I gave him an education, so his name is Professor because he's full of knowledge now. That's right. I missed him out of out of the same stand. This deer came in so quickly. He has the same frame as Professor, and the ends of his the ends of his main beans curl up. He's got some trash off of some of his twos. 
I just thought it was the same deer. And so he's running away, he's bounding away. And I just, I don't know about you, man, but I, I get tore up after the shot. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, like I had to sit down and just catch my, catch my breath. And, uh, my, uh, some more of my first words right after that initial shot were, man, what just happened? Yeah. And, uh, cause it, it was surreal almost. I'm grinning ear to ear right now thinking about it, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, it's a delight to, to think about the experience and knowing that you just killed a, a, a giant. I, I killed some good deer. That's my biggest with my bow by far. But, uh, but man, it never gets old. It never gets old. Just knowing that you put the work in and everything came together. And here is your reward that you just got to crack at, at a really good buck. Yeah. Um, I, I, I made a mention to the guy I was with. I said, if it's not him, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. And, uh, when we walked up to him, there is absolutely no disappointment. There, there was no disappointment in my mind whenever I walked up to him and it, and it wasn't the deer I was hunting yeah. because he's still, man, you've seen the pictures. He's a giant. <laughs> so there, you know, the, there's, there's two, there's two moments when you, when you harvest a deer, right? There's the, the moment that you, you know, you release the arrow and you either have a feeling like I smoked him or, yep. uh, what happened? Like maybe it was a miss or maybe it was a bad shot. We've all been there before. Right. So yeah. you were very confident about the shot saying, you know, Oh man, I, I, I drilled him very confident. Uh, did you, did you actually watch, watch him go down or did he disappear? No, he disappeared. He had a, a limb, like a, a big tree branch in between he and us where he, we couldn't see him, uh, because of that. But, um, we couldn't hear him running anymore, and he was kind of going through a cut corn where we could hear him pretty easily. We thought that he had gone down, but we weren't just super sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, oh, gosh. Past couple of years, I've had torment where I've let the arrow go, and before it hit the deer, you know, I'm thinking, oh, shoot. But this year was not that, man. It, yeah. I, it was redemption almost. Uh, it felt really good to make a good shot on the deer. Right. Now, the second moment is where you get to lay your hands on this animal for the first time. And I don't know about you, but it, it's kind of even like when I find a shed, I, yeah. I, I get this feeling like I am the first human to ever touch this animal, right? Wow. Whether it, it's picking up a, a shed antler or picking up the head of the, of this buck, what was going through your mind when you when you grabbed his antlers and picked his head up for the first time initial reaction was just i cannot believe how incredibly large this animal is because he was he was huge we didn't put him on a scale but being very conservative we're saying 270 pounds yeah plus i mean his his neck the taxidermist i think told me his neck inside of his cape measured 22 inches which is, he said is full rut kind of, kind of stuff. And so he's just so incredibly big. And I just, I, I almost speechless being like I mentioned earlier, I put my hands on him and I'm sitting there touching this behemoth of an animal. I thought, Oh my goodness. What, you know, I just, it's indescribable almost how, how you feel and the emotion that you feel. And, uh, I, you know, I've never thought about it that way. What you, the way that you just put it being, I'm the first person to lay, hands on this but i guarantee i will if 
there if there's a next time i'll i will do that man because that's uh that's pretty special yeah that's a great feeling um so you're looking at him you know obviously he's got uh, a big rack but did you have any guesses on uh age an age you mentioned he was 270 that tells me he's a a well-fed animal sure uh from from photos i've not pulled his teeth or anything like that uh the, the taxidermist actually has it right now, but from photos and things like that, we were, we were guessing him five plus. I mean, he's definitely not a three or four year old deer. Yeah. He, he dwarfed body wise, uh, from comparable pictures of other bucks that we thought were mature. Uh, he, he dwarfed them. So he, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say five plus, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was even a little, little bit older than that. Yeah. Here's, the only reason I don't think they're super old, uh, a lot older than that, is because usually a deer will grow a bunch of trash the older that they get around, like their bases and things like that. Or at least in my experience. Yeah. And he was pretty clean up until he gets to his uh, tines. Yeah. And so uh, that I think five is a good good conservative age on him. Yeah. Uh, I don't. You know, it's, it's, I'm looking at uh, a picture of you holding his head up right now, like a trophy a trophy photo. But I'm telling yeah. you, young deer don't get that mass. No, no. He's heavy, man. Yeah. He's so heavy. Yeah. So, uh, man, that's awesome. Uh, congratulations. Now, it's it, it's not even the best time of the year to be in the timber at, for a <laughs> bow hunter, right? So so now what? You're, you're tagged out in Iowa. Now what? First of all, I digress on that statement because uh, I've hunted Iowa. This is my fourth year, and I have shot quality deer three out of the four years before this is the latest one before october 14th wow i've shot on the 7th the 11th and now the 14th and then my biggest deer was on november the 15th but um but man there's to me those first two weeks especially if you catch the weather just just like we have if you can kind of get into a a little honey hole kind of like i have i've shot two of them out of the same tree and then one out of a place very similar closer to my home uh, that has been dynamite for me for, for big deer. Yeah. Um, but no, to answer your question, I have Kansas tag this year and I, I've done, that's why I fell in love with the Midwest in the first place is my family, my brother and I started hunting Kansas. This will be year 15. Uh, so 15 years ago. And, uh, so I'm going to go make my annual pilgrimage down to central Kansas. And, uh, I, I'm going to be a little more picky there. Now that I have a good deer killed in Iowa, uh, the past couple of years, I've, I've driven back and forth a lot, just trying to hunt between both places, but I'm actually going to go camp out for about a week and, uh, just stay and see if we can't get a deer killed. Uh, I've got a couple of good deer on camera down there too, but there, uh, so that's, that's for sure happening. My goal is to hunt a Missouri rifle opener. I've not hunted with a rifle since I was a kid. Uh, well, since I was 20. And so uh, I'm excited about that, too, about trying something a little different and uh, seeing if we can't get a deer killed with a rifle in Missouri. We live in a very unique spot to where I am 15 miles from Nebraska, I'm six miles from Missouri. Uh, so uh, that that's the plan moving forward right now. And then Mississippi over Christmas. We're going to go back home and visit family, and I plan on... Uh, lowering the boom again down that way (laughs) well i tell you what man uh congratulations on a great iowa deer congratulations on a 
an awesome story and good luck the rest of the season, man. Dan, I appreciate you, man. Always enjoy talking to you. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another Iowa Sportsman podcast in the books. Big congratulations to Mr. Noel Gandy on a giant whitetail, man. Uh, I love seeing stories like that. If uh, you have an awesome uh, success story that you may want to share, why don't you reach out to the guys at the Iowa Sportsman and uh, say, hey, I got a I got a cool story. Maybe they'll write an article about it, or maybe uh, you might just uh, get an opportunity to share it on this podcast. So uh, reach out to us via Facebook. Uh, be sure you're following us on Facebook. Uh, also be able or be sure you're subscribing to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast via iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Remember to go to iowasportsman.com. Huge shout out to our friends at Bondurant Custom Furniture. And lastly, subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman Magazine. Tons of great content, all of those places. Hopefully everyone had a great weekend. And uh, here's to another awesome week. Uh, Be safe out there and uh, we'll talk to you next time.